So uh, for you, uh, it might have been something different. Um, for me, it was, it was Chicago. I grew up um, south of Chicago uh, in a town, a city that David Letterman did. Top 10 reasons why it's the worst place to live in America. It's Kankakee, uh, Illinois. Some people call it Skankakee. Uh, anyway, I, I remember the first time that I ever um, started getting close on a road trip to Chicago. Again, for you, maybe it was a different city. I was a kid, young kid. I headed up to Chicago just to enjoy the city. I had never seen uh, the Sears Tower face to face. And so, like, you know, you, you, on a non-foggy day, which I can't remember whether it was or not, I just remember from a distance, you know, I started to see those little two... Uh, poles, you know, whatever they're called in the Sears Tower. I'm not even sure the architectural terminology, but I remember seeing them from a distance and my parents super excited, like, son, look, there, there's the Sears Tower. And I remember uh, going down into the city, we eventually went, went uh, up the tower, but as a young boy, if I just like stood there and looked straight up, you guys remember that, whether it was the arch for you or Empire State Building or like whatever the, the monument, the massive structure was. I remember like sitting there thinking to myself, how in the world did they build this? You know what I'm saying? Like I struggle now to build stairs on my back deck, you know. And so like looking up at this massive structure, like thinking how it was constructed, it's crazy to think about. Um, Well, listen, technology has improved quite a bit since the Sears Tower. And some of you guys, my guess is are aware of this, but there is a new record holder in the largest building in the world. Cue the video. Check this out. Crazy, crazy. From the sands of the Arabian Desert rises the tallest man-made structure on Earth. A city in the sky, nearly half a kilometer tall. The Burj Dubai is the pinnacle of skyscraper engineering. Okay, so listen to this. Listen to this. 2,700 feet tall, the Burj in Dubai, okay? So we've introduced it, and this next part is just for fun, okay? People construct things, and so then humans can do crazy things. This is the Guinness Book of World Record holders in base jumping off the top. Look at this. True story. This happened in 2014. Now, I mean, that is crazy okay think think about being asked to be the camera guy on that project you know what I'm saying so hey here's our plan we're going to set the Guinness Book of World Records we're actually going to build a they actually built a platform that was higher than 2700 square uh, uh, feet in in the air and now hey actually we want you to jump off and then film us crazy crazy stuff that that gave us a good perspective though of how uh, large the structure is Um, it took five years just to build the exterior five years Uh, In 2008, listen to this, there were 7,500 skilled workers on the project at one time to build uh, the Borsh in Dubai. Again, I struggle building stairs, and so I'm like looking at that, just thinking like, how in the world did they build that? Um, It's interesting to me then when you start thinking about the build concept and how it relates to you and I. Next slide. Let's start here tonight. This is what... 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. Paul is encouraging, apparently, the church in Thessalonica on something that they were already doing. They were already selflessly building one another up. Uh, This is, I would say, one of our greatest joys in being the body of Christ that we get the grace and the opportunity, the gift, to build relationships selflessly to build one another up. Continually in construction, as it were. I believe, though, next slide, we have massive struggle with this. Unlike excellent construction, like we just saw at the Borg in Dubai, our building one another up in Christ often lacks intentionality, perseverance and attention to detail again to build a structure that's 2700 feet tall it takes all three of those things and yet you and I though we may struggle with a hammer we get the gift of building up one another in Christ encouraging affirming 
pushing on towards Christ in one another. And yet, we lack the attention to detail. We lack the perseverance to to stay the course. Uh, Quite honestly, we lack the interest. We're way more focused on building ourselves up than we ever would be about building others up. Uh, Guys, uh, listen, here's my heart tonight going into tonight. I long, I long, I long from God's word to shepherd your hearts tonight. Um, I'm not desiring to preach a sermon. I'm not desiring to um, be a theologian tonight uh, for theologian's sake. I'm interested in the kingdom of God, which is a matter of power, doing a massive work in us tonight through a very, very hard text. If you've read ahead in 1 Corinthians 14, you know what we're going to be wrestling with. Uh, if you haven't, you're in for a treat. This is one of those passages that, that people don't theme series around, okay? Uh, but because we study the Bible verse by verse straight through books of the Bible, uh, what it means is every once in a while you come to a passage that generally all of you, including myself, would run from at certain times, okay? But tonight we're not going to run from it. In fact, tonight we are going to ap- absolutely tackle the thing head on. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, turn on your phones, you'll see that the uh, subtitle, that's right, is Prophecy and Tongues. No big deal. Easy topic, right? Cakewalk for us. Now, again, you just read the subtitle in your own study sometimes and you're like, peace, I, like, I, forget it, right? Like, especially coming out of the love chapter, you know, love is patient, love is kind, prophecy and tongues, no dice, you know, like we're going we're gonna to go back a chapter, okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to read this, verse 1 to verse 12. That's what we're going to study tonight. And then we're going to see six truths that come from these 12 passages. Here we go. Let's read it in its entirety. It's not going to be on your screen in the entirety, so follow along. Verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Again, really easy start. Okay, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Of course, verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their, what's the word there? Their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, notice the repetition. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies, what? What's the word there? Come on. Builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, he says, to prophesy. Middle of verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be, what's the word? (laughs) Built up. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy, or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, no, uh, no uh, down a play uh, necessary to those who play either of those instruments, okay? Do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? Verse 8. And if the bugle, does anyone play the bugle here? Just by raise of hand, okay? Oh, no buglers, okay? And if, the, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Interesting point, verse 10. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Finally, verse 12. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, really easy phrase, strive to excel in, what's the word? Building up the church. All right. So, so how many of you have, uh, like, you're just right, rearing to go, right? How many of you have ever taken this passage in for great lengths of time, studied it? My guess is very, very few, but tonight we're going to do it together. So Lord, please come now, guide us, teach us. Straight from your word, not from the text of popular opinion, I pray that you would teach us tonight. In your great and holy name, amen. So here we go. Let's look at chunk number one, truth number one from verse one and two. Pursue love, he says. He's just out of the 
the whole love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And remember the context of the chapter. If you speak in prophecy, if you have all knowledge, if you, and on and on and on, but if you don't have love, he says you have nothing and are nothing. So he has made very, very clear, has Paul, to Corinth, that love must be not just present, but prevalent. So he says, as he moves now to teach again on the issue of spiritual gifts, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that of prophecy. I think one of the great first questions is, why does he desire his people to know that they should desire prophecy a whole lot? That's a great question. Why should the church, why can the church in Corinth desire to prophesy? Hang on to that question. We're going to get there as we move on tonight. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the, what's the word? In the spirit. Now, I want to make a couple um, footnotes, asterisks, and then we'll, then we'll move on. There are a couple different kinds of speaking in tongues that we see recorded in the scripture. Uh, the first, the uh, first ever speaking in tongues in the New Testament comes in Acts uh, in the early parts of Acts, right, where uh, a bunch of folks, 120, are gathered in an upper room, and all of a sudden, like tongues of fire, those who are gathered in Jerusalem for the festival are all of a sudden hearing the works of God in their own language from these 120. So in other words, there are boisterous amounts of volume that's coming from the home as all of these 120 now are speaking in tongues, People walk up to the house and they're hearing the works of God that are being communicated. And you guys know what happens on that day. How many are saved? Come on, how many are saved? Three grand, remember that, right? Like the, the, the church all of a sudden goes from 120 to three grand, 3,000. This is a massive transformation. Apparently, though, in Corinth, there is a different kind of struggle. Look again at verse 2. This is not that kind of speaking in tongues. This is for one who speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Apparently in Corinth, there was this affinity, this affection, let me say it this way, this lust after a communion with God through tongues. Uh, Some of you uh, have heard it said, uh, have heard it called a prayer language, okay, between people and God, all of a sudden the Spirit begins to utter things. And apparently what's happened in Corinth is they are struggling placing too much emphasis, too much stock on that kind of communion with God. And Paul makes very clear as he gets going here that when you speak in that way, you're not speaking to men but to God. And literally no one understands uh, the situation. So, uh, next slide. Let's Let's stop here in this chunk and wrestle with truth number one. Spiritual gifts are to be desired with a motive of selfless love. There is never going to be a point in the scripture that will affirm that my good brother Daniel should pursue a spiritual gift for his own gain. You're not going to find it. Why? Because in so doing, it's going to contradict all of the other texts that say that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so spiritual gifts, Paul makes reference like he did in in chapter 12. We are to desire them, but with a motive of selfless thinking about others, outdoing one another in honor, Romans 12, with that kind of, of love. Now, for me personally, maybe for you, some of my greatest burdens when it comes to spiritual giftings and watching them and being exposed to them has been uh, some of the greatest burnings that have happened in my heart have been watching people or even struggling with myself, people use them for some sort of selfish gain. And so what it's done, right, is it's caused us to run the other way. Let me just speak for myself. It's caused me to run the other way. Anytime I saw some counterfeit spiritual gift being used for personal and self-motive, 
It caused me literally in fear to run away. I didn't want to get there, and so I thought the best way to do it was to run as far away as I possibly could. The problem is, Paul says, earnestly desire. So I've had to confess my own sin, wrestle with my own sin. How can I earnestly desire spiritual gifts if I'm running from them? And so part of tonight, I would say a big part of tonight, is helping frame the healthy biblical view of spiritual gifts that takes some of our experience, which has burned us, and doesn't erase it for the sake of learning, but instead say, you know what, that, that may be counterfeit and not biblical. It doesn't mean that we erase the biblical. It doesn't mean that we run away. It means we learn the biblical. We pursue health. We earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Which, for those of you that are just joining us, one more definition before we move on. There's a difference between uh, fruits of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit produces in believers beginning at the moment of conversion. I confess and profess faith in Christ. What the Scripture says is at that juncture, I am, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing, amen? In fact, let me remind you of what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. I have to go. You want me to go so that the Helper can come. Crazy line for the disciples to hear that, right? But you want me to go because the the Holy Spirit is going to be incredible, trust me. Holy Spirit comes in believers and then begins producing fruit. Peace, patience, kindness, right? Gentleness, not the fruit of the loom, underwear kind of mentality, but like actual fruit, okay? So that's spiritual fruit. That's fruits of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts, on on the other hand, are gifts that come from a giver And that giver is only God, first of all. We together. There is no gift giver that isn't God. Okay, again, one of the things that that has burned me about spiritual gifts, and some of you guys know my story, is when I was in college, I had a buddy come up to me and say, you know what, Mark, you want to start speaking in tongues? Like, you've got a problem, you can't speak in tongues. Don't worry, I'll give you the gift right now. You know, and I about punched the guy in the face in love and in grace, but I was like, "Are are are you kidding me? Like, like what, do you, what do you mean you can give me the gift? Like, you're not God, right? So there is one gift giver, and as that gift giver, God discerns that giftings can be used for his glory and the building up of the church, then he bestows giftings as he uh, gives discretion. That's the difference. All believers share in the fruits of the Spirit. At certain times, based on God's discretion, he gives spiritual gifts for the building up of the church and his glory. Does that make sense? Okay. So chunk number one is spiritual gifts and the motive of love must be in unison. If the motive, of, if the motive is not love, then it must not be a spiritual gift. Can we agree? Come on. Like if the pursuit, if the foundation isn't love. Let, let's say it this way. It can't be a gift of the spirit if it's not bearing the fruits of the spirit. Oh, Right? Right, So, so if, if all of a sudden the fruits of the Spirit aren't present, then that means the gift of the Spirit, it, then it must be counterfeit, okay? So chunk number two, here we go. On the other hand, hello, hello. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue, look at this. Builds up what? Builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So now we see, again, the issue in Corinth, which does have application for us. The issue in Corinth is counterfeit speaking in tongues that is being used to build up self. And so Paul is helping them understand, look, you can speak all of that even in a counterfeit way, but it's, it's building up yourself, which, which is counter the beauty of selfless, love-giving spiritual gifts. Next slide. So, so for me, this upbuilding piece is clearly, which I've never seen, the piece that drives these 12 verses. In other words, is it possible that what we thought the subtitle Okay, what we thought was the topic, what we thought was the, the main idea, maybe where the church has gotten confused 
is they have spent so much time wrestling with prophecy and speaking in tongues that they miss what Paul is really trying to say. He's really trying to say God has given the body of Christ a gift, and that gift is to build one another up in him. That, to me, in this whole line, is the thing that drives Paul's heart, which now, all of a sudden, it puts prophecy and puts speaking in tongues into perspective. But this gets confusing. I want to show you why. Next slide. Okay. Here's the definition of prophecy based on desiring God. Okay, so John Piper and the like. He's a very simple man, as you can see. This isn't hard to uh, understand at all. Okay. The New Testament gift of prophecy is a regulated message, which anytime you can get regulated in a biblical definition, it's good to go, right? Is a regulated message or report in human words usually made to the gathered believers based on a spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edification, encouragement, consolation, like we just saw, conviction or guidance, but not necessarily free from a mixture of human error and thus needing assessment on the basis of the apostolic teaching and mature spiritual wisdom. And many of you are saying, like I did the first seven times I read that, como se dice? Right, right, okay. So let me, let me layman's term this for you, okay? And when I say layman, I mean like Mark terms, Okay. What happens in the Old Testament is you have an office of prophet, capital P. We wouldn't capitalize it here in Matthias, but generally in the Bible, capital P. Now, the office of prophet in the Old Testament, uh, it bore with it this responsibility to be very, very, very often a mouthpiece of God in a thus saith the Lord kind of way. There are exceptions. But generally in the Old Testament, it was an office. Isaiah the what? Come on. The prophet. You see what I'm saying? So it it was an office. Well, what happens in the New Testament is we move from it being an office to a what? A spiritual gift. You see what I'm saying? And so with the move from it being an office, uppercase P, to a, a gift, lowercase P, then what it means is Not every time that someone speaks in a moment where the Spirit stirs them is it prophetic and from God, even though they claim that it is. Are we together? This is why this gets confusing. So in other words, uh, prophecy now is the Spirit stirs something in us. We speak that very often in gatherings, small group settings, etc., We preface things like, I sense this is what God is sharing. And then those truths, potentially, that are shared are affirmed by what? Scripture and mature wisdom. Does that make sense? That's the difference. Now, the reason why this is confusing, I want to show you three things, three ways. Three, and maybe this is just me, but my guess is it's many of you as well. Next slide, look at this. Why the gift of prophecy gets confusing. Number one, the gift can be used as a means of establishing personal authority, right? I mean, you, you, you got somebody that is consistently, from a pulpit, from a leadership standpoint, consistently saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And then you get a bunch of people that believe that, who are scared to check that, like, this is how some of you honestly have been spiritually abused in your past. Because you sat underneath some sort of authority where man or woman could not be held accountable. They could say whatever they want, claim that it was prophetic, and throw the gavel down as if, thus saith the Lord, through me at all times. It's, it's confused me. I've seen people abuse that kind of authority. And they have used prophecy They have used the ability to to proclaim on God's behalf uh, for their own devices. Motive, love? No. You see what I'm saying? Now we have a problem. For some of you, maybe it's not that. For some of you, maybe it's this. Number two, okay? The gift of prophecy gets confusing 
because the gift can be used in opportunistic times that are difficult to refute. This is the ever classic, God told me we're supposed to break up, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and like, rarely does a boyfriend or girlfriend say in that moment, like, this is prophetic. Okay? And again, sometimes, yes. In fact, I would say there's some relationships up in here right now that probably need to run away from each other because the relationship is sexually charged, is distant from the Lord, and on and on. Okay, but there are times like that, and there are plenty more, where all of a sudden we feel like we can just throw down, man, I was really praying about this, and in reality it was like three seconds ago that you began to pray, right? I was really praying about this conversation, and I just, man, God, God just spoke to me um, in a dream and, and crayons, and it's, I know it's the strangest thing, and God told me that, God told me that you're a heathen and that we need to break up. Okay, okay well... And again, I, you know, I say it in jest there. Um, we must be very, very, very careful to use the, and God said. I mean, I, I'm serious. I very, very, and, and Jeff, who's known me uh, the longest here, very, very, very rarely say, apart from the scripture, and God said. I'll say things consistently. I sense. This is, what, this is what I, man, in my heart I believe. But I'll tell you what I want to caution all of us against is putting words in the mouth of God. I mean, you, you, want, to start, you want to start playing that role? And trust, I have done it. And it never ends well. And what I say by it never ends well is somehow I find myself like, like uttering the words that should be coming from the mouth of God to claim victory or to, to claim power over a situation. Are you kidding me? I mean, again, I'm essentially putting myself on the throne, which God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Okay? That's why prophecy gets confusing. Thirdly, and certainly not finally, the list isn't exhaustive, the gift can be filled, oh my goodness, with hatred. Now, I want to go back, um, stories like Jonah, okay, stories like, um, or people had to be a mouthpiece for God, but they went begrudgingly, in fact, they hated the people that they had to go and share. Listen, let, let, me, let me share it. God called us to plant a church in St. Charles City, so that we could be the most loving hopeful, gracious, and merciful group of people combined with our other brothers and sisters in Christ from other local bodies of Christ in this city. That's why he's called us here. But I have to be honest. There are some times where truth that is shared, because prophecy goes far deeper than preaching. There's some times where truth is shared. And it very, very, very much has a tone of hatred I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I've never seen a time where a picket sign screamed love. I've never, like, I've never, maybe you've had different experiences. Okay. There are certain bumper stickers, right? That we think, oh, this will, this will communicate the gospel powerfully, right? And, and yet it doesn't scream out love. Can I tell you what screams out love to this city? Can I tell you? Time spent. Time spent. It's not us waving banners around and saying that we love people. It's us loving people. Over and over and over. Talking to Brandon about this yesterday. Like, I want all of you to understand something. We're so prone to want something so quick, but we don't understand construction takes a long time. It takes a long time. It takes diligence and and hard work. For this city to know that we love them, my friends, it's not going to happen overnight. They know it, and I believe they would miss it now if we left. But we must not grow weary in doing what is good. But if forever, and if ever, they start to think that somehow we're proclaiming as a mouthpiece of God with hatred, they will run, and you know, quite honestly, like, I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to be a part of something where hatred was the foundation either. So Paul is building now this, uh, we could say, doctrine of truth. So next slide, Let, let's say it this way as we look at uh, truth number three. Now, 
I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, he says. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? I love this because he doesn't diminish speaking in tongues. Look at it. Now, I want you, uh, I want you all to what? Speak in tongues. So you're kind of like Paul. Are you, like, are you making some sort of contradiction? Like you, you just said that prophecy is better. Now you're saying we, you want us all to speak in tongues. No, he's saying, look, it, speaking in tongues has a place when it's not counterfeit for edification. It has its place. Now that's why a truth number three is so pertinent. Let's say it this way. Spiritual gifts are designed to build up the church for God's glory. Spiritual gifts are not designed to show primarily spiritual maturity. Some of you grew up in context. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. That is heretical and not biblical. Let's just refute that right now. If you grew up in that tradition, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a believer. That is not in the scripture anywhere. Okay? It's not true. Right? But what is in the scripture, clearly even here, is the desire to pursue spiritual gifts so that God can use the gifts to build up the body of Christ. Okay? And he says very clearly, though, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone what? What's the word there? Unless someone interprets. Okay, so what, what he's talking about here is in a public setting, someone begins to speak in tongues. But what he's making a very, very clear case for is prophecy is greater because prophecy can benefit and build up the body. But if you're speaking in tongues by 1-800-YO-SELF with no no interpreter, okay, then what you're doing is, as he said earlier, you're building up who? Come on. You're building up you. Okay. But if God raises up an interpreter, okay, and again, this is, honestly, this is mysterious to me. Okay, I'm not saying that we, we have this pinned down. This has not happened in our history. Okay. And, and, and it's, it is weird to me, and I'm just being very, very vulnerable. It's weird to me that, that certain denominations, you never see people speaking in tongues. And then other denominations, you see speaking in tongues rampantly. I, I'm like, I'm troubled by that in my heart. Anyone else? Like, I'm like, how does that work? It's the same spirit. Is it that these people aren't desiring it? Is it that a lot of this is counterfeit? Like, like what's going on? But what Paul does make clear amongst our questions is that the one who prophesies is greater. Why? Because it builds up the church. And anything that is building up the church can be used for the glory of God and the edification of the body of Christ. So verse 6, just one more time quickly. If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation, right? If not, it's just for me, okay? Uh, so I want to look at this passage, and we'll wrestle with it before we move uh, to the next chunk. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let's just use this for one example. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, no, no, no. Imagine a world with me, shall we, together. Kumbaya begins in the background. Imagine a world with me where there was no corrupting talk that ever happened in the body of Christ. Imagine a world with me, okay, called the Truman Show, where there's no gossip, right? Where there's no, like, no gossip. The body of Christ never, ever judges one another. Uh, Imagine a world with me, where every time you spoke, okay, to someone who is a follower of Christ, they didn't hesitate to tell you the truth, but they spoke the truth in love. They didn't just coddle you, they were able somehow to, not in corrupting talk, but even at times prophetically, peer in, speak in. It's like we, we say sometimes, like somehow, like someone's reading my mail. How did you know that about me, right? Like that's the way the Spirit can work. Okay. Imagine that world with me. Crazy hard to think about, isn't it? 
but, but wouldn't we long for that? Wouldn't we desire that? Think of how much we would be built up, how much we would grow, how much we would be encouraged if all of a sudden all corrupting talk by the power of the Spirit was gone. There was no counterfeit, even in this case speaking in tongues, no counterfeit spiritual gifts. It was all wrapping up in love for God's glory. So I guess what I want to say just in a moment of all vulnerability is there is a lot of corrupting talk that comes out of our mouths. And quite honestly, I'm ready to just as a body uh, start challenging one another more deeply. Um, I've seen situations recently where gossip can just absolutely control a situations, And I'm just, I'm tired of it in my life and I, I know in yours. Listen, the only way, the only way we start embracing this kind of reality is if we do it together. Is if the judgment is called to the table in love is if the gossipers are, are stopped mid-sentence. And we do so because we all, long, we all long for one another's growth in Christ. That's what it means to be building up one another. Are we together? Because what's happening right now is those who are struggling are allowed to sin. We're not building them up at all. We're actually allowing themselves to tear themselves down. And quite honestly, some of the rest of the body of Christ. There are some cancers even in the body, right? Like people who, whose mouths run rampant. And who are allowed just to do so, talk freely, blaspheming the name of God, and, and somehow, like, where do we find ourselves in that? We must, as a body, say, no, no, we desire that no corrupting talk will come out of our mouths. Why? Because we want the, the church to be built up. We want growth in my brothers and sisters. That's what we long for. And the only way that's going to happen by, God, by God's spirit in us is if we start stepping out and saying the things that are hard to say. And so I know that for some of you, there's a very, very hard world to imagine but I'm praying right now that God, would, that God would make that so in this body and that some of you who are new would experience something special by what God's doing here because you find that gossip doesn't run the show at Matthias. I pray that that's just not a nice phrase, but something we really embrace. Let's talk bugles, verse 7. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Fair point. Well played, Paul. Right? So if the harp isn't distinct, if it's, like, if it's like melding into the rest of the noises, you can't pull out the beauty of the harp. And trust me, you, a harp is pretty money, right? Like I've talked to Brandon, right, about adding a harp into the mix, and he said next week. So here we go. No pressure. Okay. How will anyone know what is played? Verse 8. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? This is clutch. Uh, check this out. If the bugler in the battle cannot be heard, people don't know whether to advance or retreat. Because the sound's getting muddled. You see what I'm saying? So you got some soldiers that are retreating. You got others that are, that are advancing, all because they're going off of noise that is indistinct. This is an awesome image, verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue, see his point now, you utter speech that is not intelligible. How will anyone know what is said? Huge line in this text. You will be speaking into the air. Again, in Corinth, they're lusting after speaking in tongues. So then we can only make the assessment that when he gives this image, he's saying we've got people that for some reason... Their own upbuilding, they're just like speaking in the air, thinking that it's going to show everyone else that they're spiritually mature. But instead what it's doing is it's actually tearing down the body of Christ because you're only bringing attention to yourself. Okay? So truth number four, let's say it this way. Highlight it in the yellow. Okay, next slide. Spiritual gifts have distinct purpose and are not, are not, are not to be toyed with. The counterfeiters, and again, if it ever be you or I. The counterfeiters think somehow that God doesn't see right through the counterfeit. You're mistaken, misguided. I am mistaken and misguided. You see, because if spiritual gifts are given by the gift giver, then that means not just are they given, but they represent him. And so when we start toying with those things, when we start making a mockery of the gifts, let me say it this way, okay? Worst Christmas ever as a parent. 
you, you work super, super hard at giving your, your child a Christmas present. I mean, you've invested money and time and effort. You didn't just order it on Amazon Prime. I mean, you actually went to the store. You did your thing, you know? And then all of a sudden, you, you wrap that up, and your kids open up the gift, and they look at you like, seriously, is this really, is this really what you got me? When in your heart, you're like, what? Like, I've invested, I care about you. I gave this to you because I, th- I thought you'd still like dolphins. You don't like dolphins anymore? Right? So listen, when we toy with spiritual gifts, this is precisely what is happening. We're looking at the gift giver and we're saying like, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do for my name. So, like, you can go ahead and give whatever you want to whomever you want, but I'm going to dictate what gifts I get and when I get them and how I use them. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. You're speaking into the air, he says. Two chunks to go. Verse 10. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Crazy fact for all those uh, linguists in the room. There are right now six to 6,500 languages in the world. How crazy is that? By estimation of, uh, let me make sure I get this man's uh, name right, okay? Um, I can't read my own handwriting. K. David Harrison, he's the only guy nominated for an Emmy-winning linguist. I have no idea what that means, but I'm pretty sure it makes him smart. Okay, here's what he said. 6,000 to 6,500 languages in the world right now, and that represents probably about 6% of languages all time, which means, quick math, carry the one, there have been 100,000 different languages. Crazy, and obviously that's plus or minus one or two, okay? There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But I do not know the meaning of the language, but if I do not know the meaning, look, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Huge point in speaking in tongues. Uh, next slide. Let's say the truth this way, okay? This is huge for understanding. Tongues without interpretation does not build up the church. We've already said it. We're going to come back here. That, that's what he, look, if I, if I go and can't speak the language, I'm a foreigner, and that person a foreigner to me. The problem is in the body, we're not foreigners to one another, are we? We're part of the same what? We're part of the same what? Come on. Part of the same body. We're connected. That's what we learned a couple chapters ago. We're united in Christ. And so now verse 12. You ready? So, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, another way of saying spiritual gifts, use of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Speaking of language, the Greek word here for strive is better. Seek, the word for excel is abound. Let's say it again. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, seek to abound in building up the church. Run after it. Anytime you've ever played hide-and-go-seek, it's a lame uh, seek game if you just stay still. Seeking takes effort. Seeking takes movement. Seeking takes going after it. And that's his whole point. I believe he doesn't just want his readers to be challenged on counterfeit speaking in tongues by escalating the gift of prophecy. He longs that they would see that spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church and the glory of God. Next slide. Let's say it this way. We have to say that, uh, see this in truth six. Building up the church is to be sought after, which is why Paul says from verse one to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Come on. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, which, de- which tells us what about our God? He wants us to be what? <coughs> Built up. He wants us to grow, to be sanctified. He wants us in one another to be building one another up. And so Paul communicates from God in the scripture, pursue and desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Why? Because in so doing, the church will be built up. Remember this? Next slide. Remember this? Unlike excellent construction, our building one another up in Christ often lacks intentionality, perseverance, and attention to detail. And and listen, seriously, 
I'm like affirming this with 19 exclamation points. Next slide. I think many of ourselves uh, find ourselves, um, this was a couple years before they finished the tower. Look at where it is. Barely off the ground. My contention to you is that many of you are stuck right here. Right there. There's so much more. But we could say it this way. It's almost like the construction crews have left. And there is one reason for that. Because you get to this place, next slide, and this is the question you're, or this is the statement you're making. No one is building me up. The biggest hindrance in the growth of people in the body of Christ is this kind of selfish attitude. No one's building me up. No one's discipling me. No one's pouring into me. No one's serving me. No one, and on and on. Again, it's not things that we vocalize all the time, but it's things we believe in our heart. What if I told you the greatest joy of being in the body of Christ was actually embracing that this question never even has to entertain our hearts? Why? Next slide. Because we'll be called to something different. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of drawing near. Listen, in other words, we're not to seek our own interests but the interests of others. That's what Scripture says. We're to outdo one another in showing honor, Romans 12 says. As, as we've been talking about here, we're called to die. Our greatest joy is in the moment when we're unfinished for lack of a better term, when the construction is happening, it, it stalls because we say, like, where, what happened? Where's the attention on me? But the most life-giving joy you ever find is when all of a sudden you're looking at the other people that you're around, journeying with, walking with, and saying, I long to help build you up by God's power in Christ. So next slide, I want to show you three ways that that can happen here, okay? How Matthias intentionally seeks to shepherd a community of building up. This, this, better be, this better be of great importance to you. Number one, okay, number one, we're going to teach and embrace a family culture, period. Mark, here comes the, the, the Lot family thing. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yes, it does. Why? Because there is so much beauty in a bunch of people gathering in a home on Sundays and sharing life together, and working through the mess, and battling through, and oh my goodness, sometimes it's a battle, and on and on and on. How are we intentionally setting up a rhythm of building up? Is we're saying every single week, we're going to meet as a family, not a small group of family. And I'm sure like yours, sometimes my family's messy. We're going to gather as a family. And in that family setting, we're going to not seek our own interests, but the interests of others. We're going to pursue one another. We're going to get on the offensive. The problem is if you've got 30 people showing up to a house and everyone's saying, no one's building me up, do you see what happens? Yeah. Now all of a sudden everyone's on an island, their own island, and no one is being served. And more importantly, no one is enjoying the, the ability to be used by God for his glory. Like everyone's just sitting there. But what we've done is we've said, no, 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 there's a different way for us to exist. It's in family. It's in family. Number two, okay? Huge empathize. You know this. Teach and embrace discipleship. The very premise of discipleship is building up one another. At the very core. It's that we would get to take younger followers in Christ and say, come with me as together we go to Christ. And again, I know some of you have very, very much negated that calling for the same reason that we just showed in the half-built building. You're looking around. Well, no one's pouring into me and no one's. And the reality is, even by being here tonight, people are pouring into you. We believe lies so quickly. We must, as a church, continue to embrace discipleship, not because it's a program, but because it is our joy to follow the commands of Christ as he showed us the best way to live. He said discipleship is the best way to live, brothers. Embrace it, follow it, exist in it. So much life in it. And finally, and way most importantly, 
We're going to teach and embrace what, was, what that was supposed to say is Christ centrality. We're going to teach and embrace Christ centrality. How are we building up one another? By not resting in one another. How are we going to build up each other? We're going to keep pointing to Christ who never fails. Who is the cornerstone on which everything is what? Come on, built up. We're not building on shifting sand, my brothers and sisters. We're building on a cornerstone that has all power. And so because of that, our effort is not in vain because it is already by his, by his power and for his glory going to get done. He's going to build his church. And we get to be a part of it. Let's stand together. Come on. Come on. So look, my guess is for many of you, just like in Corinth, they had gotten so focused on themselves, they couldn't even understand Christ's centrality. They weren't even looking across the aisle. All they saw was their own selves and their own use of gifts. What if right now we prayed in power? We didn't just talk about it for a season, but we prayed in power that God would continue to do a work in our hearts, making us more and more selfless. Again, what, what if we didn't just go through seasons where we said die to self and we need to die to ourselves, give up our flesh? What if right now, again, we prayed in power and whatever the implications were for you, you took them. And you said, you know what? I'm not in community. I don't know why. I, I want to be built up. Let's go then. Come on. You know what? I've been denying my call to make disciples. I don't even know what that means. We have awesome opportunities for you to grow and be shepherded in that. Or maybe somehow you've gotten confused that Matthias is about something other than Christ. But my friends, let me tear all confusion away. We are only about Christ here. Let's pray in power. We believe, God, that all power is yours. We believe, God, that you are our rock and our cornerstone, our refuge, our shelter, our help in time of need. We confess we do not desire to toy with the gifts that so represent you as a good gift giver. And so, Father, I pray that we would utilize the giftings for your glory. And I pray that we would continually strive after building up one another. I pray for reconciliation in relationships that have been broken. I pray for humility in relationships where pride has built a wall. I pray right now that you would show us your power by what you can do in building us up on you, the one cornerstone. In that name, in that name.